Do you love that jingle? <laughs> Give an invitation right now. And uh, in fact, I would just say it's coming. Uh, the local church year is coming. The football is coming. We're about to move out of this television wasteland into something worth watching on TV. And I just want to say today, hey, it is so good to be back with all of you. And I've missed you, and I love you. And uh, it's great to be back. And I just want to say hi to all of our campuses today, all the ones in Tulsa today, Battle Creek and Midtown and Downtown. We welcome you in Chicagoland, all at the DuPage campus, and then in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, we welcome you today as well. All of you at Battle Creek, would you put your hands together and welcome all the other campuses. And... Uh, I'm really excited about what we're getting ready to start sharing with you this week in this brand new series called I Love My Church. And before I, I jump into that, let me just say to you at all of our campuses in the seat pocket in front of you is a little connect card. Uh, we want to know you and we want to know that you were here. And so if you would take just a second and fill that out uh, sometime during the service and at the end of the service when we uh, have a chance to give, drop that card uh, in the bucket, if you will. Yesterday, I drove 15 hours uh, on my way home back from the beach with my children in, in the car, which is enough to make anybody go crazy. And, and uh, one of the last things I did, I was trying to unwind last night before I went to bed, and so I was on social media, and, and uh, one of my uh, acquaintances' friends uh, was pulling into the beach that I was arriving home from asking for restaurant recommendations. And so right before I went to bed, I was putting some restaurant recommendations. Several of you were on there uh, with me. And, and I recommended a couple of things that I found on, on this trip, which I just get real excited. Those of you who know me, you know I'm a foodie and uh, I, I'm all about eating at great places and great restaurants and great food. And, and uh, I, I just, I can't figure out why you would eat somewhere not good because there's so many good places, right? And, and uh, I used to be able to control my weight and all that because I was able to do without McDonald's and other places that we went. But now every place I go is great. And, and so I'm fat. And, and the, the way that, but I found this salad, this plum salad with cucumber in it and mint and all things Middle Eastern at this restaurant called Budden Alley's uh, on the beach that I went. And it's just phenomenal, phenomenal salad. In fact, I finished my meal and ordered the salad again and, and ate it again. And it's plums and cucumbers, so you can eat all of that you want, right? And God made it, and I found this burger, which called the Bomber Burger, at a place called The Bay, which was fantastic. Here's what I love doing. I'm just going to tell you. I love finding new restaurants, finding new dishes, and telling people about it. I get real excited about that. In fact, let me, let me just do that for a second. I know I started, but let me just do that again for a second. For those of you in Cairo, last time I was there, I found the best restaurant I've ever eaten at in the whole Middle East, and it's called El Qadawi. And it used to be forbidden. It was only for military people until the revolution. And now regular people, we can go in there and we can eat. And it is phenomenal. If you're in Cairo, go eat there. For those of you in Chicago, not been there yet. Been reading a lot about it. There's a restaurant called The Girl and the Goat. And as weird as that sounds, let me just say, you need to get in there if you are in Chicago and you need to take me with you, okay? I've been trying to get a reservation, couldn't do it. I'll come preach at the Chicago campus if you get me a reservation at the girl and the goat. And then I don't want to leave Tulsa out. A few weeks ago, found the tavern in downtown Tulsa. Anybody eating at the tavern in downtown Tulsa? Uh, great food. On Sunday nights, they do this uh, family-style thing where you can order fried chicken or, or whatever. And the bun, I don't know what the bun is on the burger, but it's fantastic. And, and several have been, been hitting me up and saying, you got to go eat at KD's place in Oklahoma City. Anybody been there? Yeah. Any good? Yeah, yeah that, you're not convincing me at all. Somebody said yes with some passion back there. Robbie, it's good. And uh, I, I, I'm a little skeptical. I got to just say to you, I'm a little skeptical when athletes get involved in food. 
And it uh, happens all the time in Chicago. I mean, it's everywhere in Chicago. Every athlete has a restaurant in right, Chicago. And, and I don't want KD doing anything with my food, right, except for paying his big, fat money to a big, fat five-star chef uh, to prepare it. But here's what happens in those restaurants. Uh, that these athletes, they put their name and they put their label on a place. And it doesn't matter, quite honestly, what they serve, right? They could serve nasty hamburgers and French fries, and the place would be packed because of the label. And... and uh, I just want to say to you, it's all about the label in that scenario. And one of the reasons that I love my church is because we're not about labels. And I just want you to hear me when I say that we're not about. When we named ourselves the church at or the church.at, it really was an attempt to be a church without a label. And when you go through the scripture and as you read through the scripture, it was never about labels in the book of Acts. In fact, it was about one man. And one name, and that is Jesus Christ. And that was what it was all about. And so when they started a new church in a new location, a new city, it just was the church at Rome or the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus or the church at Philippi or, or whatever. So we're just kind of doing the same thing. And so we're just the church at, right? The church at Battle Creek or Midtown or Downtown or DePage or Cairo, soon to be South Tulsa, soon to be Owasso, and wherever God places us, right? And the church is known as the bride of Christ. That's what we are, the bride of Christ. But with the church, it's not really about the bride as much as it is about the groom, right? And, and which is the exact opposite of our culture. I don't know if you noticed or not. Uh, if you're not paying attention, you might miss the whole thing altogether, that weddings today are all about the bride, and, and, uh, which is a biblical reversal of the way that it should be, okay? And, and so let, let me just explain what I mean to you before all of you get your feathers ruffled. It's really supposed to be. In fact, I've envisioned this whole video of, of the groom walking down the aisle and everybody turning and going, oh, you know, and, 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 and just, I mean, really, it would be a great video, but I, we haven't figured out how to produce it in such a way that it would be as good as my imagination. But, but it's all about the, the bride because the groom doesn't care, right? The groom doesn't care about the, the colors and the flowers and the dresses that all the maids are going to wear and all of that, right? Or, or any of that. They just want to go to the honeymoon suite, right? And that's the way that this whole thing plays out in our culture. But I want you to think about this for a second. Weddings today are all about the bride. That's why you can spend a thousand or thousands of dollars on her dress and you spend a hundred on a tux for the man to wear that 75 other men have worn. <laughs> right? And you got the, you know, all your best guys uh, next to you and lined up beside you, which a great trick, it'd be expensive, but it would be a great trick, would be for all the girls to show up at the next wedding in the same dress as the bride. That'd be funny. Some of you are going, where have you been? And what are you doing? The, the, I think it would be funny. Not, those of you who are planning a wedding, you're like, that's not funny at all, right? But, but the best man, what's that title about anyways, right? If he's the best man, why is she marrying me? Which is kind of why they're all dressed the same to begin with, because if he gets chickened out, they just move him forward, which is why, you know, the preacher says, do you take this man instead of Robert Jones or whatever his name happens to be, right? Just in case he gets scared, we just move them all forward. And shouldn't it be the groom and a good guy? Isn't that a better title than, than the groom and the best man? But in the body of Christ, listen, in the marriage supper of the lamb, we're the bride. But really, it's all about him, the groom. 
and us lifting him up. And it's about Jesus Christ and it's about us magnifying him. And Jesus, by the way, when he walked around on earth was all about people. And consequently, we're all about people as his bride. And and over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you five reasons why I love our church. Five things that you and I can point to to say, this is why we are so jazzed about our church. And, And all of them, by the way, have to do with people. And which God's heart is on people. And so today, I love my church, first of all, because it is a place, and I want you to write this down, where found people find people. It is a place where found people find people. And you as a group, quite honestly, you as a group of groups, are motivated and passionate and determined to find other people and tell them what happened to you and to tell them what Jesus did in you and and for you. And you want to invite them to experience that relationship too. Found people, find people. And that's one of the building blocks of our church, of TC. And and so to illustrate this, I want to show you a video. In fact, I would just confess to you, this was was sent to me uh, a few weeks ago, right after student camp. And, and over 10 years of student ministry and almost 12 years now of pastoring a church never received a video like this. In fact, I want you just to watch uh, this video of these kids. Okay. Um, thank you, uh, Alex. Thank you, Alex, for uh, the opportunity for the church camp, for the church got um, we, we really do appreciate it. We, I'm sorry, guys. I have some friends who got saved and baptized there at the church camp, legacy camp. Uh, one is Mario, and my other brother Devin. He's not in here at the time. He's with my dad. He's with my dad. And uh, we just want to thank Spencer and Tyler for the great experience that they've done in our lives. And yeah, thank you guys. I wanted to thank Tyler for like helping us out, helping us go out, and getting us to go, and um, like helping me out so I could, I could go get me better with God and get me closer. That's really it. So say thank you. I I thank you. I thank Tyler for helping us, um, being there for us, and Spencer for helping us, being there for us, and um, praying for us. And I love y'all. Mm-hmm. I want to thank Tyler for everything. And Spencer and Alex. I just say I love you guys. That's all I got to say. I Those are kids saying thank you to adults, which ought to make all of us just pass out, right? That's a miracle in and of itself, but the greater miracle is the changed life that went and found his brothers and, and their lives were changed and went and found their friends and they got saved and they got baptized and, and, and you paid for it. I love this church, man. That's incredible. In fact, in a day and an age when churches are running away from children's ministry and running away from student ministry, I love the fact that you are pushing the pedal to the metal and saying, no, 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 we got to go get kids and we got to tell them about Jesus before they get out of high school and we got to minister in a way that they understand. And, and by the way, looking for people and looking for something, you don't do that on accident. It just didn't happen by accident, right? You you don't look for something by just aimlessly wandering around. I don't know if you're like me. I'm a little OCD. When I lose something, I'm flipping stuff over to find. It doesn't even matter, quite honestly, what the value of what it is I've lost. Meredith is like, it means nothing. I'm like, it's lost? 
I got to find it. And I'm flipping. And, and by the way, every child I birthed, they're helping me look. Everybody I paid, they're helping me look. And, and we're all going to find what I'm, because I can't get my mind onto something else when I've lost something. And, and when you lose something and you're looking for it, you don't do that in such a way as just to wander around aimlessly. It's an activity that you participate in right? On purpose. It's the difference between uh, the path that a man would take going to the mall to get something and the path that a woman would take going to the mall to get something. In fact, we, we map that out just so you can see it. We'll put it on the screens to understand how this works. <laughs> that, that when men go to get a pair of jeans, that blue path is their path, right? And the result of that is six minutes and $33, right? When females go, it's three hours and 26 minutes, 876 bucks. And, and so when you go looking for something, you do it on purpose. And sometimes you'll wander up on some things. In fact, twice in the last 10 days, the crazy thing has happened. Well, I took uh, uh, Ben, my 11-year-old, and Sean and his son, Ty, we went fishing with Doc Geiger, which is the only way I fish, right? Because I got to go with somebody who knows how to catch fish. I don't enjoy casting. I only enjoy catching fish. And, and casting is way too boring of a sport for ADD people. And, and those of you who watch fishing, you need to get a life. And, and so we, we were fishing and, and, and Ty cast his reel off the side of the boat and reeled up a GoPro camera. One in a billion chances of this happening, right? And, and, and so this 11-year-old boy so excited, he reeled up the, with the stand and the suction cup and everything. I don't know if it was in the Tulsa World, actually. This whole, uh, the reporter was with us, Tulsa World fishing with us. And, and, and he said, yeah, that's mine. And Ty was like, uh-uh. And, and uh, you know, I reeled that thing up. And, and he said, yeah, it fell off the boat. I didn't make a big deal out of it. But how you caught it, I don't know. And, and so, but then a week later, we're at the beach, at the ocean, and my kids come walking out of the ocean with a GoPro camera in their hand. I'm like, God, what are you trying to say, right? And, and, and I feel like he said, we're going fishing. We're about to go get some people, and, and we're going to record this story. And as I looked at this camera, it's the Hero 3, which is the $450 version, $500 version with the Wi-Fi and all. I don't know anything. The kids taught me. I'm not, I'm not that smart. I, I just learned all this three days ago. And, and, and so we, we went on to the camera, and we loaded it on the computer, and, and we were looking at it. And Limley's first question is, what's on there? I said, there's 5,700 pictures. 5,700. And her first question was, can we delete them all? <laughs> right? Because she's nine. And, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We cannot delete them. And, and so we went through all 5,700 pictures. And here's what we found out. The only fact we found out from 5,700 pictures is the previous owner is the worst photographer on the planet. <laughs> and they have feet. That's the only two things we know from these videos and cameras from this particular GoPro. So my family got a new GoPro courtesy of the Lord, right? And, and, and the ocean. And, but I tell you that story, and let me just back up. A few years ago, we were at Rosemary Beach, and, and at night, one night during the week, they show a movie out on the lawn. And so we watched the movie out on the lawn, and then we were leaving to go back to the house, and Benjamin said, I lost a shoe. How do you lose a shoe? So what do you mean you lost a shoe? And he said, I lost one. I said, you got one? I said, you didn't put them together? He said, no, I took them off at different times. And, and, and so we got flashlights, and we're walking around the lawn looking for this thing. And I found this camera. This digital camera was extremely valuable because I Googled extremely valuable digital camera. And, and so I called the lost and found at Rosemary and said, hey, anybody looking for a camera? And, and the 16-year-old kid said, nobody's looking for a camera. Just bring it to me, and, and I'll, I'll take care of it. I said, that ain't going to happen. And, and uh, 
And I said, that ain't gonna how it's going to work. And so I, every day before we left, I called. I said, anybody lose a camera? No, 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 no. So it, it went in our camera bag and went home with us. Well, a few months later, I got the camera bag out, and I saw the camera. I was like, oh, I forgot all about that thing. And, and so, of course, it's dead. So I got on Amazon or eBay. I ordered a charger for the camera. We got the charger in the mail a few days later. We plugged it up one morning early. Eli and I are sitting out on the back porch in, in the summer, and we plug this camera in, and we go through, I think, over 3,000 pictures, and, and we have a legal pad, and we are making notes. I mean, we learned that the mascot was for this seventh grade basketball team. We learned when he was in seventh grade and the date there, which was a couple of years ago, they went undefeated in basketball. So we're Googling this stuff and we're trying to figure it all out. And, and after about two hours, we narrow this thing down. We call a school who happened to be open in the summer. It was right before July 4th. And the secretary at the school in somewhere in Missouri actually said, uh, I described the whole thing to her. And she said, I know who it is. I said, can you have them, you know, uh, can you give me their number? And she said, no, but I'll have them call you. And, and they called me a few days later. And the whole conversation this lady is bawling because there were trip to Super Bowl. There was a trip to snow ski, multiple ones. There were trips to the beach, trips to tropical islands, trips to the Olympics, all on these 3,000 pictures. And this lady is crying because she's so grateful because she knows what you know and what I know. It's not about the gadget, right? It's about the memories and it's about all of those photographs, things that you cannot replace a as a family. And she cried and, you know, and Eli was telling me, the whole, this is a few years ago, the whole time we're looking through that, Eli's like, they're going to buy us a car. When we returned this, I mean, I got my first car, you know, and, 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 and they didn't do anything. And so if that was you, lady, you should have done something. And, and, but I didn't do it. By the way, I didn't do it for the something. I did it for you because I know the value of it. And by the way, when Lindley said, can we erase all the pictures off the GoPro? She shouldn't know better. She's not. But I should know better, Right? And I should know that we found something valuable. And it's not the gadget, it's the pictures and the memory. And all of us have done that, right? You've lost a phone or you lost a planner. And it's not the thing, it's the names and the numbers and the relationships, right? And when it comes to found people finding people, believers should know better. In other words, you should not see him as the cashier. You should see him as a person who needs Jesus, who God made and God loves. You should not see her as the hairstylist. You should see her as a person who needs to be found and potentially needs a relationship with Christ. And so why do found people find people? Let me give you two reasons real quick before we jump in the text. Number one, found people find people because found people are changed. And when Jesus finds us, he never leaves us the same. He doesn't. Before Jesus found us, we were lost in our sins, but Jesus found us and he cleaned us up from the inside out. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, you were cleansed. And not just cleansed, you were made holy and you were made right with God. How? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You remember. You, you remember when you first came to Christ, right? The first time you turned to Jesus, you, you remember how powerful that was? You know how powerful it is because of the change that happened in your life. And when Jesus finds us, he changes us. And when he changes us, we want to find others and we want to tell everyone about the great things that Jesus has done in our lives. In, in John chapter 1, there's this story about Jesus finding Philip and then Philip turning around and finding Nathaniel. And, and the story just goes on and on. I, I could point to about a dozen stories that I know of in our church, in the life of our church, where we 
we would say so-and-so found so-and-so who found so-and-so who found so-and-so who found so-and-so and his whole family who found so-and-so and his ex-wife who got married again because they both found Jesus and so-and-so and so-and-so. And the story, 17 people long that I know of, multiple tracks and stories like that in our church. There is something about being found by Jesus that makes us want to find others, which is the second reason. Found people are excited. We're excited about being found, and and we're found by Jesus. We're changed by Jesus, and we ought to be excited about that. It's not unlike some of you who've gotten into network marketing, right? And I don't know what happened to our world. Like, every business is now a network, right? And and that's the way it works now. I don't know what happened. It just flipped overnight, and and, and I wouldn't have guessed it. In fact, I, I would have said it wouldn't work. In fact, I said a few years ago, Twitter will never make it, you know, and, and, and so I'm not good at those kind of predictions, but those of you who get real excited about whatever your gidget or widget or product or drug or patch or, or, or you know, whatever it is that you have, you, you guys get so excited about it. And the truth is we can't get away from you and we can't get you to shut up, right? Everywhere we go, you get on an airplane and you're going to talk about the whole flight, Right? Or uh, you, talk, you tell us about it on Facebook and Instagram and Periscope and Twitter and, and all of those things. And, and I just want to say to you, there is something about being found. You have this thing you love that you found and has changed your life and has revolutionized whatever, your health or your fat or your hair or whatever, right? And, and you're so excited about it. There's something about being found by Jesus Christ that, that should make us that excited or more. Right? It should make us that excited or more, that we can't help it, that we have to tell people about Jesus, that we can't go a day without inviting somebody to our church. Found people find people because they are changed and they're excited about it. Now let's jump into the text today. John chapter 4. I want to show you a story that crystallizes what I'm talking about today and how this plays out in the Bible. And uh, I want to give you a little background of this story before I jump into the story. Jesus it's got this running gun thing going on with the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees, according to the first couple of verses of chapter 4, have heard that Jesus and his crew are baptizing more people than John the Baptist and his crew. And so they're a little disarmed by the way that this is playing out and the competition that is coming to their turf and their power. And so Jesus hears about this and says, I'm going to leave Judea. I'm going to go back to Galilee for a while. Typically, the, the geographical route would take you through Samaria back to Galilee. But for a Jew, you would typically go around Samaria. We've talked about this dozens of times. Jews do not like Samaritans. And so they would go around Samaria to get to Galilee. But in verse 4, look at it. The Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Underline that phrase, had to go in your Bible. Why does he have to go through Samaria? It has nothing to do, by the way, with Apple Maps giving him bad directions. It happens all the time. In fact, I found a new app yesterday on the way home called Waze. W-A-Z-E. Anybody know Waze? Oh, it's like the eye in the sky. It is crazy. And you're driving on the road and, and Waze will go, watch out, object in road. And, and like 100 yards later, there's a big wheel in the middle of the interstate. Like how do they know that? And these people are reporting all this stuff on this app, which, which just comes in real helpful when he says, policeman in five miles. I love this app, right? I, I, I love it because I just wanted to know so I could wave at the policeman when I go by at the speed limit. Like I don't usually get to do, right? And, and in this 
place, it's not because he got a bad app or bad directions. There's the will of God thing happening here that says Jesus had to go to Samaria. It's because he's got business in Samaria. He's got to go find someone. Look look at verse uh, 5. And as you look at uh, uh, this passage of Scripture in verse 5, it says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. If you want to write that out, literally that Greek uh, word there for that town means the drunken town or, or the lying town. It's the, Gos- it's the Las Vegas of the Middle East. And that's the town that Jesus went to in, in Samaria, which is a great picture of the gospel, right? That God left the protected halls of heaven to come to this God-forsaken, stricken, desolate world filled with people who had turned their back on God, which tells you and me, God's not afraid of desolate places. And he's not afraid of broken people. And he's not afraid of messy people. In fact, he goes there. That's where he goes. In fact, the Bible goes on to say it's near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And then it says, and uh, Jacob's well was there. Now, what's the significance of Jacob in the Bible? There's all kinds of significance with Jacob, right? Jacob's the one that wrestled all night long with God and, and with Jesus and said, I'm, I'm not letting go until I have the blessing of God on my life, which is a great illustration for you and me. Jacob's the one that had the dream about the ladder in heaven and the angelic beings were going back and forth to send the message that Jesus is the ladder that you and I enter into heaven from this world through. Uh, Jacob is the one who was reconciled with his brother Esau after a major rift and, and they worked it out. So, and in front of his son, by the way, Joseph, in front of his son who watched that play out, who later reconciles with his brothers who dropped him in a pit and left him to die. And that's the, I mean, this is amazing Bible story and it's mentioned there, which by the way, I don't think the Holy Spirit wastes a word when he inspired the biblical writers. And we got to learn how to study the word and dive into the word and understand what the word is saying to us. And, and it says that that's where it was. And, and Jesus, tired from this journey, tired from this long walk, sat wearily on the well at noontime. Now, why did he sit on the well? I don't know exactly, but I've been thinking about doing this series about encounters at the well in the Old Testament. And I want to do this series. One of these days I'm going to do this series, and I want to title the whole series, It Is Well, right? And at the well, all these encounters that happened, and it's life-changing what happens there. And Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, listen to what the Bible says. Therefore we shall draw water with joy out of the well of salvation. First place the well ever shows up in the Bible is Genesis chapter 16. It's the whole story of Abram and Sarah. Remember where they dismissed Hagar and sent her on her way? And it says she met the angel of the Lord at the well. Remember that story? And she ends up coming back to God, coming back to the family because she saw God and she says, I met the God, lo, Roman, who sees me which is happening all over the Middle East right now, that Middle Eastern Muslim men and women are seeing God and they're seeing the God who sees them. And he's showing up in their dreams and in their visions and Jesus is revealing himself, which is the prophecy we're asking God for right out of Isaiah chapter 19. And in that story in Genesis 16, she meets Jesus at the well. The well, the location of the well is in the wilderness, which is your location and my location and our condition before we were found by Jesus. The well is often the place where where they... God reveals himself. By the way, the well is not a place of ministry. It's not the church, right? It's the well. It's it's where business happened. It's where commerce happened. It's where people went. It's where people went in the town, which is a great uh, uh, application for you and me that the church is supposed to go where people are, right? That's the church at the well. 
That's the where they were, and that's where people went, and that's where Jesus went. He went where people went. And, and you know, the tagline for this whole church at the well could be, don't let people go to hell. Go to the well, right? And, and this is where this plays out. And the disciples had gone on to town to get lunch. And this is when this story plays out. Look at verse uh, 5. Verse, no, sorry, 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. Uh, Jesus is engaging this Samaritan woman. He's crossing all sorts of barriers and lines and, and, and culture in order to do that. And she looks at him and she says, you're a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman. And, and by the way, you can read between the lines, you're a Jewish rabbi man, I'm a Samaritan unclean woman. This is a triple whammy. And she knows that, which is what Jesus reaches across. He reaches across cultural lines, racial lines, financial lines, socioeconomic. He reaches into every pocket of the world. And she looks at him and says, why are you asking me for a drink? The answer is because Jesus is on mission. He's on a seek and save mission. Remember Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost that's what he is doing, and he knows he has found a lost person who needs him. Look, look at verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift, circle that word gift in your Bible, because that word literally in the Greek means a bountiful, free, honorable gift. That he's the gift of God. Jesus is referring to himself as the free, honorable, bountiful gift of God. God, if you knew the gift of God and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And, and so what's the woman at the well's response? Basically, she thinks he's nuts, right? And she looks at him and says, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get water? You don't have a bucket. And, and, and guess who had a bucket that day? The woman did, right? She had a bucket. The bucket, by the way, in that day was two sticks, you know, in an X shape with a leather piece of an animal hide coming off of those sticks, the sticks to keep it open that you would lower down into the well. And, and, and this is how we come to Jesus, isn't it? With our bucket. With our hands full, and we got everything in our minds we think we need. We got everything under control. We think we don't need Jesus or want Jesus because we got enough because we got a bucket. And Jesus is looking at her, and she says, you know, you got a bucket. And, he, and she says, you don't have a bucket to Jesus. And so often the people we know who don't know Jesus, they don't know they need Jesus which is the case for this woman at the well in this story. And Jesus says, if you only knew, you would be asking me for some water. If the world only knew that they are digging false wells that will not ultimately satisfy them, then they would turn to God and they would turn to Jesus. And Jesus maybe looked at her that day and said, woman, I am the bucket. I am the bucket. In fact, my bucket is so full, I can fill all of your buckets and not lose anything in the process of filling all of your buckets up. Which, by the way, the ultimate bucket list is the list of Jesus, and you're on it. And he wants to fill your bucket. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket or something to draw the water out of the well with. And the woman starts to debate with him about the water in the well. Now look at verse 12. And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? In other words, this well has been here a thousand years. 
dug by her ancestors. And, and how, how could this guy who just shows up in one day give her something better? Rejection of the gospel, by the way, is usually due to some false sense of security. That we're secure in our own power, we're secure in our own world, we're secure in our own religion. And, and this woman is thinking that she can get water all by herself because she has a bucket. And, and this woman thought that she was going to find what she needed in this world. And so she went from husband to husband to husband to husband to husband to husband, right? And she thought that her religion was going to satisfy her. She thought her tradition was going to satisfy her. She thought eventually marriage would satisfy her. And, and she wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for her. And he found her. And Jesus always cuts right to the heart of the matter. Look at verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, she says, please, sir, right? Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water again and again and again. In other words, religion is tiring. And when Jesus Christ changes you from the inside out, he changes you for eternity. And he takes your old, dry heart out and he gives you a new one. Not made of stone, but made of flesh that is soft and sensitive and teachable. And how does he do that? By the living water. What's the living water? It's the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7, he tells us very specifically that the living water is the Holy Spirit who comes into each of our lives when we choose to follow Jesus and chase after him. And the Holy Spirit gives us new life. He gives us new perspective. He gives us a, a, a new power to live. But, but she still doesn't get it, right? She's still hunting and pecking here. And so he tries another tactic. Look at verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five. And you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And that's what Jesus looks at her and says. Jesus wasn't being ugly. And he wasn't being judgmental, which we're going to see very clearly. But as you look through this story, Jesus looks at her and he sees through every excuse she has. And every false well she's digging. And he tears down her defenses. And he will tear down your defenses to find you. And certainly he was looking at her saying, aren't you tired yet? If you thought a husband was going to do it, how come five haven't? Which, by the way, I've had a lot of friends who've been in and out of marriages. And when they're honest with me, they say, you know, the problems went to the next marriage too because I went to the next marriage. And I brought my problems with me into the next marriage, right? I thought I would leave them, but I was there. And so were my problems. And, and, and as I entered into this scenario, listen, aren't you tired, lady? These wells you're digging, looking for security, and they're not going to fill you. Listen, we aren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus is looking for us. And he is searching for us. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story about three lost things and the lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost coin. And in the first you know, story, the boy goes away and comes back. And in the second story, a man has 100 sheep, loses one, leaves the 99 to go find the lost one. In the story of the coins, the lady has 10 coins. She loses one. She flips the house upside down to find the one coin, and then they throw a party because they found it. Listen, guess who the lost son and the lost sheep and the lost coin are? Us. It's us. And who's the one doing the searching? It's Jesus. 
And he wants to find us. And Jesus knew a thing or two, by the way, about losing something. How many of you have children? All our campuses, put your hands up. How many of you have children? Now, just leave your hand up, if you would, for a second. If you have ever been somewhere public with a child and you turned around and could not find him or her. And it may be that they were just around the corner, right? But there is a moment, and every parent has felt it, of sheer panic, right? Of where is my kid? And we can joke about leaving them or losing them. Or whatever, but when we think we lost one, we, we are panicked in that moment, right? And Jesus understood that because there was a moment early in his childhood when halfway back from Jerusalem, his parents realized, where's Jesus, right? And I'm sure he knew about that story because I am confident he heard that story over and over and over and over again, right? And Mary looking at Joseph going, remember, you know, when we thought we lost the Son of God? And, and you know, and that whole story. But as a kid, you and I love playing hide and seek, don't we? We loved playing hide and seek. My kids loved it when they were little. And, and the reason I loved that game when they were little is because when they're little, you're just tired all the time, right? But that game, you didn't have to move. You could sit in your chair, right? And they would go, you know, close your eyes, count to 10, and they would go hide, and they hide behind a lamp about that big around. <laughs> you remember that? And, and they're, so they're standing behind a lamp like this, and, and you're going, you're going to have to try a little harder. But for the kid, it's not about hiding, right? Because they're, they're not just, you pretend like you don't see them where, you know, and, and all of that silly stuff that we do, right, with our children. And, and you're looking for them, and then they start going, hoo you know, and making little noises or whatever so that you find them, and, you, you know, then you find them, and you grab them, and they squeal, and they scream, and they laugh. Why? Because children understand it is more fun to be found than it is to hide they understand that. And Jesus knows that. And he knows there is more joy in being found by him than there is in hiding from him. So he will do whatever it takes to find you. Even when you're not looking for him, Jesus will do anything to find us. And Jesus' words did not come to this woman with scolding, right? He wasn't shaking his finger in, his, in her face saying, you shacked up with that guy and that guy and that guy. And that's not the way it plays out. No, he accepts her and he loves her. And he tries to convince her. And finally, he confronts her with the evidence that he is Lord. Which, by the way, I don't know if you read my blog this last week. I hope you will. That, that in our culture, as we encounter the culture, this book is our only source of truth. And what this book calls sin, we call sin. We can't change that. We don't have permission to change that. But this book is our only source of truth. Jesus is our only model of how to convey truth. And I got friends in religion who got truth and no love. And they act like jack butts. And I got friends who got love and no truth. And Jesus is saying both are required in this story. Listen, the woman changes the subject really quick. And she says, hey, you Jews worship in the temple. And, you know, us Samaritans, we worship over there on the mountain, which is right. Is it us or the Jews? And, and she's trying to debate with him about religion and worship styles, which is going nowhere. And she's probably trying to change the subject because she is uncomfortable. And most of the time when people change the subject, it's because there is a deeper issue. 
And so many, many times when you talk to somebody about Jesus, all they want to do is debate, right? And if Jesus is who he says he is, then why did this one Christian one time offend me and say that and hurt my feelings or whatever? And I want to say to you, quit using that as a crutch to stiff-arm God. Judge God by, by God. And see what kind of love and truth is there. Listen, people change the subject because they're uncomfortable, and they are usually uncomfortable as they begin to realize that the wells they are digging are not going to satisfy them and that they need Jesus. And Jesus is doing something under the surface in their life. But Jesus, listen, he doesn't get into that debate with her. He just accepts her, and he says, hey, you're worshiping a God you don't know. That's an amazing truth right there. God, you're ignorant of. Paul said the same thing in Acts chapter 17. As he said, these statues, there's the statue to the unknown God. Yeah, God, you don't even know who he is. Let me tell you about the God you don't even know who it is. And by the way, there's probably people at our churches today, one of our churches, you're here, you're, you're here to worship. You came to worship and you don't know God. And you don't know Jesus yet. And today, Jesus wants to find you. And the joy in being found is unbelievable. Jump down to verse uh, 23. In verse 23, He says, but the time is coming, <clears throat> and indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's here right now. Jesus says it's here right now. Today is the day. Here is the place. And he opens his arms up wide, and he accepts her, and then he changes her. And, and when people dodge us, when we talk to them about Jesus, we got to follow up with spirit and truth. Right? Truth, here's what I know. Spirit, here's how it changed me. Spirit and truth. Jesus is so great. This is who he is, and this is how he changed me. Spirit and truth. And this is what our testimony does. <clears throat> in the New American Standard, it says that all those people in that town believed because of her testimony. It's telling others how God changed our lives. And look at the change that happens to this woman. Jump down to verse 28. The woman left her water jar. Which, by the way, that's not the bucket. It's a whole different word. The bucket was this X with an animal skin that she draw water with. The water jar was something entirely different. That you poured the water from the little bucket into this big ceremonial water cleansing thing. It was about ceremonial cleansing. It's the same exact story that's playing out in Cana of Galilee at the wedding when they took the water that was in those containers and turned it into wine. It represented their religion, it represented their tradition, it represented where they placed their security and how they would cleanse themselves to take care of their own issues. And she looks at the crowd as she runs back home and says, Come see the man. He told me everything I did, which, by the way, there's not one ounce of insinuation that he judged her or scolded her or guilted her or shamed her. He told me everything I did, and I'm drawn to him. And I'm drawn to his love. Come see, could it be the Messiah? The Bible says, so they came streaming from the town and streaming from the village, and she left her water jar behind. Listen, the water jar, she leaves her past behind. The water jar represented everything she thought was going to satisfy her. And, and, and she was so sure of herself. She was so sure of her world. She was so sure of her religion that eventually she would be satisfied so she could get her own water. And didn't need Jesus. But that one phrase, she left the water jar behind. We see that she finally understood that Jesus makes all the difference. Then, then what did she do? She, 
was found by Jesus. And she went to find people. Why? Because found people find people. And she said, come see this guy. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he did for me. And then they came running and streaming from the village. Found people, find people. And Jesus, look at the Bible. It says he stayed there two more days. Remember, he's just passing through. But they begged him to stay and said, would you stay? He stayed two days. Revival breaks out and all kinds of Samaritans come to Jesus and they are saved. They receive the message and they're saved. And this woman was concerned about her spiritual needs and now the spiritual needs of everyone in her town, her neighbors and her family. She was concerned. She was concerned with other things, right? That's why she brought her water jar. But then she left that behind and went and found people who need Jesus. She left her water jar behind. She left her cares behind. She left her concerns behind. She left the job behind. She left all of those things behind. And she went to the place where she found true love. She left all of her security, her trust in the world and her trust in her religion, her trust in marriage, and she traded it for spiritual security in Jesus Christ. And she was changed and she wanted others to be changed. Now think about the people that may have been in those crowds streaming out of that town that came to know Jesus because she left her water jar behind. Who do you think was in that crowd? I'm guessing her five ex-husbands were in the crowd. I'm guessing there were people in the crowd who knew her whole story and said, isn't that her? Isn't that the woman who shacked up with all those isn't that yes it's her but she's different there's something different about her life we got to go see what it is and her story was one of hardship and bad choices but it was redeemed and she used her story to bring others to Jesus why found people find people a few weeks ago a man who's one of the dads of one of the daughters on a little basketball, girls basketball team I coach on Limley's team. He texted me and, he, and called. And he's international, came here from somewhere else, and he speaks English, but it's, it's broken. I don't really know him, and he didn't really know me, but he knows I'm a pastor. And he texted me and said, Pastor, I'm getting a divorce and I need help. And I thought you might be able to help me. And as I prayed for this man, God dropped in my spirit the name of a friend who's been divorced a couple times and is growing in his relationship with the Lord and learning who Jesus, what Jesus is doing in his life. God put his name in my heart. I said, God, what's that about? He said, you need to give him to him. And so I called my friend who's sitting in this service right now. And I said, I want you to talk to this guy. And he, he said, about divorce? I said, yep, yeah, why don't you talk to him about divorce? He said, I know the best attorney. <laughs> he said, you're going to pay, but you're going to win. You know, and, and, and I, I love this friend. And he, he said, yes, I want you to talk about that. But I also want you to talk about Jesus. And I want you to tell this man about Jesus. And, and he sent me a text a few hours later and said, hey, I'm going to begin with Jesus. I'm going to end with Jesus, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be worldly in between. <laughs> and then he left me a voicemail. 
He said, hey, I'm thinking about this meeting, and I'm kind of praying about this meeting, and I'm kind of writing down what I'm going to say at this meeting. And, and if, if he gets to the place where he wants to accept Jesus, I'm not real sure. I just got to talk to you about that. That's what the voicemail said. And I'm listening to this voicemail, and I'm laughing with joy. In fact, a couple of times I listened to it, and I wept. Because God put in my heart, this guy's going to get to lead somebody to Jesus at a table. Let him do it. And, and these guys are going to meet. It didn't happen and, and when it was set the first time, but it's going to happen. And my friend's going to get to lead somebody to Jesus as a man who's been divorced a couple of times, who understands, and God's redeeming the story. And he takes a story of hardship. He takes a story of bad choice, and he redeems it for his kingdom. What about the disciples? Listen, what were they concerned about? Clearly, they were concerned about it lunch, right? They missed the whole thing, and they went and found food, but Jesus found people. The disciples were concerned about a good restaurant recommendation, but Jesus is in the business of finding people. Why? Why? Let me tell you why. Because the gospel really does heal hurting people. Why? Because the gospel really does break the chains of addiction in our life. Why? The gospel really does hold marriages together that were falling apart. Why? The gospel really does include the excluded. The gospel really does set people free. The gospel really does give people hope and bring about change in their lives. The gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ and in Christ, listen to me, church, in Christ, the best is always yet to come, which is why I love my church so much. And Jesus said he's going to build his church. And I love giving out recommendations for restaurants. I get real excited about it. But I'm way more excited about telling people about Jesus. Would you pray with me every campus? If you're here today and your story is broken or messy, you may think it's a coincidence that you're here on a day when I'm talking about Jesus loving messy people or screwed up stories, but it's not. I think it's providence. And today you need to know that Jesus loves you. You need to receive that. And for some of you, for the very first time, you, you need to receive salvation and a relationship with Christ for the very first time. And so right where you're seated, if that's you, I, I want to lead you in a prayer and help you do just that. I'm going to pray it one phrase at a time so that you can simply pray it after me. I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud. And I'm going to ask those who already know Christ to pray it out loud as an encouragement to you. So right where you're seated, you want to trust Christ, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, every campus, say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. And the best that I understand, I turn my back on my sin. And I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen and amen. Would you celebrate with the angels in heaven that are celebrating men and women?